Hi, I'm Gary and this is episode 121 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today we'll be looking at, amongst other things, British Vault, a company in the UK making EV batteries. We're doing that through a discussion with Quentin Wilson. This season of the podcast is once again sponsored by our friends at ZapMap. Before we start, I wanted to welcome everyone back to the new season. This is season 7, episodes 121 to 140. Over the next 20 weeks, we'll be looking at ChargePoint operators, electric aviation, the Ford Marquee and the Hyundai EV6, as well as talking to the man behind Lake's Electric Van Deliveries, a 100% electric last mile delivery company. We'll also welcome back Sarah Sloman and Pam Barbato from last season's roundtable. They'll have individual episodes where we discuss Murr, Elmtronics, and Action Net Zero. Plus, I will finally finish my epic multi-episode report on the local councils and charger uptake. Pause for comic effect? Hopefully. So all that to look forward to on the show this season. If you're new to the channel, welcome. Might I suggest you have a quick look at our Basics episodes. Search for Basics on our website and that'll give you the key things you need to know about electric cars and living with them as a newbie or a potential user. Our main topic of discussion today is a chat with Quentin Wilson. Quentin is a motoring journalist who has appeared on numerous motoring shows over the years. He reviews cars of all shapes and sizes, but he's also had electric cars for quite a few years and, as happens with many people who take that path, he started to become aware of a number of the additional factors that go together with moving to electric. As a result, he's now a key figure behind two different initiatives in the EV and renewable space. He's a public face of British Vault, the recently approved and funded battery manufacturing company that are in the process of building a new factory in the northwest of England. He's also the man behind faircharge.co.uk, which is concerned with ensuring public charging meets the needs of EV drivers. In this discussion, we'll also talk about Quentin's concerns over particulate matter and pollution, hydrogen cars, what's his connection with Robert Llewellyn from Fully Charged, where he stands on fracking and nuclear power, and what his thoughts are on those charge point operators who aren't quite coming up to scratch with their offerings. We'll be chatting about all of these things today. A quick note for future listeners who might be trawling through the archives. This episode was recorded a couple of weeks after Russia invaded Ukraine, and the impacts of that were just starting to be felt in the UK, with fuel approaching £2 per litre, and household heating looking to rise by well over 50% for many people. So just a bit of context for some of the discussions. Anyway, welcome, Quentin. How are you? Morning. Fine. Thank you very much. Excellent. Um, now, you, you're just one or two years older than I am, and you've been on my television talking cars for as long as I can remember, originally on uh, Top Gear, I believe, with that well-known electric vehicle supporter, Mr. Clarkson, and then on programmes such as Fifth Gear and advising on motoring issues for programmes like Daybreak. You've also got a classic car show on Channel 5. Now, that, that's a pretty big petrol head CV, so... What made you move to electric? Was there a, a road to Damascus moment? There was, and it, it was back on, uh, on Top Gear in 1996 when I drove uh, GM's EV1 in LA um, mm-hmm. for the show. And I remember thinking, gosh, this is the future because it was so fast, it was so quiet, it, it was like you know nothing we'd ever seen back then. And I said to camera, look, you know, this is this is the future. This is coming, and of course, as we know, GM crushed them all because they were so good, and they would have competed with all their combustion cars. And then, when EVs started to be available, generally available, which is what two thousand nine, I got a little Mitsubishi Imiev, um, uh, along with Robert Llewellyn, and we collected them at the same time uh, from Birmingham, and and drove that for a couple of years. Then bought a Citroen C zero. Uh, then a Vauxhall Ampera, then a Zoe, then a Leaf. So all the time I was kind of campaigning for low fuel duty and talking about combustion cars, I was driving EVs every day and taking the kids to school and them and, and they would say, Daddy, don't take us in the EV. People are pointing and laughing. <laughs> um, but it, it, it was important for me to kind of show that the, the technology worked. And, and it did. And they were fairly miserable things. I remember the, the, the IMEF would only do about sort of 50 miles to one charge and 30 miles if you put the heater on. But I never ran out of juice and the batteries were fine and there were no, no issues. And here we are now and I've got a Model 3 Tesla, which is brilliant. And I've driven to France in it on, on three charges, 769 miles. 
and and for me that 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 damascene moment has has been and gone and i I don't think i would ever go back to combustion cars totally agree with you there Uh, tell me why why the model three i mean obviously Tesla have got a really good reputation in the market for electric vehicles and the supercharging, et cetera. But there are a lot more similar sorts of electric vehicles on the road at the moment, any of which you could have chosen. So what particularly sort of drew you towards Model 3? It's the whole ecosystem of the Model 3, the superchargers, the apps, the fact that, you know, it all works so seamlessly and and, and you can put it into your life after a little bit of acclimatisation and it works really well, and they're fast, and they're smooth, and you know every, everything is good about them. And all the myths you hear about build quality—that's that's moonshine. I've, I've not had any issues with mine over twenty thousand miles, and um, it's just you know the best electric car out there. But you're absolutely right; there are loads. I mean, Kia Niro, very very good. The Hyundai Ionic Five, even even a, a little Zoe's a, a, a competitive car now. iPace, you know, we, we're spoiled for choice. Is there a Model Y in your future, do you think? Well, it's funny you should say that. Um, <laughs> I, tested, I tested a Y, a y uh, before, before Christmas and um, thought it was really exceptionally good. And as we speak, my wife is um, at a Tesla showroom looking at one and, and she's, she's a hard nut to crack because she drives a Range Rover and likes all that traditional, conventional buttons and, and, and V8 engines. Um, but I think, you know, we will be changing to a Model Y as well because it just works and it will fit into our life. And we've now got, you know, charges wherever we stop. So it, it may only be a matter of time till we're a, a, a two EV family. And I can imagine that petrol prices heading up rapidly towards £2 a litre and a Range Rover with a with a economy of what you're getting 15 miles to the gallon on that or is it a little bit better well when i drive it i get 30 when she drives it 15 yeah so you know add those, add those two together and um it starts to make a lot of financial sense to go to uh, it does and i think we're going to see you know this become more and more of an imperative because you know petrol and diesel prices aren't going to go down anytime soon and opec and russia and saudi arabia are going to lock us in so um, we could be, and the CBR said the other day that they, they think that oil could reach, what, $250, $300 a barrel over summer. So you could be looking at the four-pound litre, which is going to just decimate the economy. So if, if, if you're thinking about getting an EV, now is the time before demand and, and prices run away. Well, I want to come back to demand and prices in a second, because I think there's there's a whole discussion to be had about that. But before we sort of move on to this... What are your thoughts on hydrogen for passenger cars? I mean, you've used, you've reviewed hydrogen cars. Supporters say, well, you know, you get a three-minute refill just like a petrol car. What are your thoughts? Look, I mean, let's just look at the numbers. There are 12 hydrogen fuel stations in the UK. I think there were two two hydrogen vehicles available on the market. Um, And I think, you know, we've sold half a dozen. I mean, they're just, you know, they're they're too expensive. But the the main problem with hydrogen is... uh, it's not as energy efficient as, as as electricity, and it's four times more energy to move the car with hydrogen than it is with electricity. And then, you know, can we make green hydrogen? How much that would cost? If we don't and have blue hydrogen, then there's all that carbon, and it's part of a, a chemical process. Um, and it's always going to be expensive, really, really expensive. So, in the, the short to medium term, we have electric cars, we have plugs, we know the technology, it works. It, it, it functions really, really well. Whereas hydrogen, you've got all that pipe work, all that pressure, all that kind of delivering it in, 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 in tankers with reduced temperatures and stuff like that. The cost for, for, for society to convert to hydrogen for passenger cars would be, would be incredible and take another decade. For HGVs and for marine and for maybe long-haul aviation, it has possibilities and for, for electricity generation as well. But in terms of passenger cars, it just makes no no scientific sense at all. 100% correct. And I think the problem I have when I, uh, you know, you scroll, you do scroll through social media whenever somebody mentions an EV, there's always the person there saying, oh, no, well, hydrogen's going to be the, the, the future. And it's only when you give them the sort of information that you've just said there, that they have to then sort of rethinking. Oh, well, you know, okay, so it gives us a three-minute refill, but what are the downsides? And I think you've just taught those up really, really well. I think it's really interesting also the anti-EV sentiment that is out there, and we underestimated it. And when I was driving my little Citroen Z0s and, and IMEVs and, 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 and Leafs, there wasn't that 
element of aggression but but whether it's a, a lobbying campaign or whether it's vested interest but i'm seeing and a lot of other people in the industry are seeing this real rabid hatred of evs uh, and 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 try to push back on 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 the green the green targets that the prime minister has rolled out so it's really interested the interesting that this this vested interest i think is 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 now very very worried because this is a disruptive technology and it's going to mean a big change for the oil majors a big big change for the repair industry of course evs don't really need any any repairs at all um and and there's a lot of very worried worried businesses and it's all going to come down to the bottom line isn't it you know there's, there's a lot of people who are going to lose a lot of money as a result of the transition to electric well as a result of the transition off fossil fuels so they're obviously trying to keep hold of that for as long as possible which is why a lot of fossil fuel people are now looking at hydrogen as a, a way of extending their uh, their lifeline yeah i mean the amount of, of, of lobbying money that's gone into hydrogen over the last few years is incredible and and you can see that the oil companies are thinking well okay we've got this pipe work uh, infrastructure and we've got all these these stations then how can we redeploy them at the, the minimum cost so yeah it, it, it it's a no-brainer when you look at the science just moving on now, how much has your purchase and your interaction with electric vehicles informed some of the campaigns and the initiatives that we'll be talking about in a moment? Were, were you aware of a lot of the, the things around, things like, you know, I'm talking about solar panels, renewable energies, public charging, that sort of stuff. Was that stuff that you were aware of um, prior to that? Yeah, I mean, look, hand, hand up. I'm I'm really quite a, a a careful bloke, and I recycle my my my, my rubbish. Always have, and and I'm and, and, and not wasteful. I'm, I'm I'm really thrifty, and and I look at my children, and I think, you know, why aren't you doing this? And all the the plastic bottles go in the bin instead of the recycling bin. Mm-hmm. So yes, I was aware of solar and, and 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 EVs generally, and and the fact that. You know, you can't get away from this air quality issue. We, we we've got so many premature deaths from from respiratory diseases because of air quality that it's something that's always been in my consciousness. And this slightly guilty feeling, you know, promoting um, combustion cars when there's all that in the background. Well, yeah. Um, you know, I look back at uh, you know my carbon footprint and over you know thirty odd years of business flying and that sort of stuff, and then I look forward at. You know, I've just had solar panels installed. I've got a battery coming tomorrow, air source heat pump next week. And I'm never going to be able to offset that. But at least in my own mind, I'm heading in the right direction, even if, even if I'm never going to get to, you know, the the destination that I really be, I really want to be. So, But this yeah. energy transition really is, is critical because we have to move from fossil fuels to sustainable, renewable electricity stored in in, in batteries and, and 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 big mega batteries that that can power businesses and and, and towns and even cities and that's that's available. You know, it, it's not that far down the line. We have the technology. We've got you know battery factories being built. Um, we have to follow this this road. And and now, you know, with energy security being a huge huge issue because of, of, of Putin. We need to make this a, an absolute central pillar of government political policy to make sure we are energy independent and, and, and can source as much of our, our, our power from renewables and, and, and geothermal and, and, and solar and, and, and hydro and, and, and off, offshore and onshore wind. I mean, we've got to take away the, the planning restrictions to onshore wind and get more wind, wind farms built. Well, indeed. And the problem I have with that is if you're going to take away the planning restrictions on something like wind, you've got the people in the background, the net zero groups who are going, well, why not take away the planning restriction on fracking? And it becomes a slippery slope. A yeah, little bit. We do need to look at fracking. I mean, absolutely. And we shouldn't let public protest dictate our energy policy. And if we can, if we can be dependent on, on, on or independent on, on, on gas with reserves in, in the UK, and if we can, can, can raise our, our, our electricity from, from, from onshore wind, let's do that because it's critically important. So, you know, if, if we listen to the protesters, nothing ever will change and, and, and everybody's afraid of change. But we have to be bold about this and say, look, we've mismanaged our energy policy as a country for years and years and years. And we've been too busy drinking cappuccinos and driving Range Rovers to worry that, that Russia was filling, filling her boots with, 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 with money from the oil and gas that we bought. So this can never, ever happen again. So, you know, people who don't think wind farms are pretty and people who think, you know, the odd tremor 
um, from a, from a fracking billing is is is, is terminal. We, we've we've got to look at this and apply the science and convince them that this is the future, and we have to be energy independent and have energy security. I think what I found very encouraging over the last couple of days is the way that despite the fact we've been talking about climate change for years and years and years, and movement has been relatively slow, now that this whole Russia-Ukraine situation has come up, people are now going, all right, well, this is the plan we've got within the next 12 months to reduce our reliance on oil and gas coming in from Russia. So there is a movement to say there are things that we could do in the short term to um, to improve our energy independence. So I think that's a good thing. We need a 10-year plan, though, a 20-year plan, you know, and we need to look at atomic and, and, and smaller reactors and things like this because this is unsustainable. And the idea that, we, you know, our, our, our economy, our, our interest rates, um, uh, how much we pay for stuff in the, in the shops is dictated to us by a foreign cartel of oil-producing nations whose sole ambition is to keep the price of a barrel of oil as high as possible. That's nuts. And, and why we blithely ignored it for so long, uh, it beats me. I, I think a lot of that is ignorance. I think a, a large proportion of the British public are unaware of the link that you just said. But if you sit down and think about it logically, it 100% makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I've spent the last 12 years fighting for, for, for low fuel duty and, and, and successfully saving $120 billion in, 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 in duty and VAT. But what you can't control is is the oil traders and and, and, and OPEC uh, and and the speculators who will drive up these prices. And we've seen this. And I've stood outside the the, the, the office of, of, of fair trading OFT with with a petition, you know, to to, to examine the, the the road fuel market. And they said it was it was functioning normally. Well, look, just what's happening today? You know, functioning normally. <laughs> and the government is is kind of guilty partly for this because obviously it relies so much on 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 fuel duty for revenue, some forty billion quid, and it's a rather cosy relationship, as I once said to a, a senior minister who rolled his eyes at me. And 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 that's all got to stop now. I mean, the, 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 this is you know the moment those tanks rolled into Ukraine, our energy supply will never be the same again. Indeed. And you, you touched on something there, which is actually quite important that I don't think I think some people have thought about, which is when you start to reduce our reliance on fossil fuels, you're obviously going to reduce the tax that the government is getting. So that tax, that money has to be replaced somewhere. Now, I've I've got blog posts and things out there which say that I think ultimately um, the government is going to charge rapid charges. You know, you might have an extra two or three pence a kilowatt hour on each uh, rapid charge that you do. And that will go as duty, but we're going to have other things such as road taxing, etc. But I think the situation we've got at the moment where running an electric vehicle is cheaper than a fossil fuel car. Absolutely. At the moment, I think 10 years down the line, I think the, the difference will be negligible. Reckon. Yeah, I mean, that that's something we've got to be very careful of. And I think if, if we do get our, our, our renewables sorted out, and don't forget, you know, the North Sea is the windiest place in the world, and we have the best offshore wind industry in, in the world. We can we can make this stuff uh, for very little money, much, much le- less than it costs to, to, to get a, a barrel of oil out of the ground. So we have to focus on that. And, and, and the UK is well served with that. And with the interconnector from Norway, um, we, we can get hydro, clean, renewable hydro energy through that, that cable. So um, managing those costs and making sure that EVs are always going to cost less than, than, than petrol and diesel cars is, is also critical to their energy transition. Because with the best one in the world, people don't do it for the right reasons. They do it simply because it's going to be cheap. Um, and the government incentives that have been put in on, on corporation tax and, and, and benefit in kind and salary sacrifice, those are good and they need to stay. And we need to do everything we can to, to, to promote EVs. And it's not just about carbon and, and, and CO2 and global warming. It's, it, it's air quality. It's absolutely critical that we solve this, this diesel particular problem in our cities. And, and that is the noblest goal of all and one which, which governments really do have to focus on. Let's just move on a little bit now and talk about a couple of things that I think are key or important to to you at the moment. Now, you and I were involved in some of the, I, I don't know whether you were aware of this, but you and I were involved in some of the planning for specific, uh, specific events for COP26 last year. I, I was involved in the My Energy site at uh, yeah. Grimsby. You did a lot of work for uh, British Vault, who we'll come to in a moment. What were your impressions of COP26? Was it all sound and fury? Will anything come out of it? 
Um, I think it was, a, a, again, a noble gesture by Boris, um, but the timing was, was, was wrong, and I think it could have, been, could have been better. I think if you did it now, it would be completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, but these things are important, and they're flagship events, and everybody sees them. And, and uh, okay, not everybody signed up, um, and, and there were quite shamefully car manufacturers who didn't, who didn't sign up either. Um, but we need to keep working at that, and it's really, really important to keep this stuff into the into the public domain and make people aware of it and talk about it and think of it. And I think, you know, COP was a, was was a flagship moment, which which a lot of people appreciated and a lot of people did 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 back. But we've got to get to the kind of mainstream. We're talking effectively to the already converted. The challenge is talking to people who really don't give a stuff about the environment. And, and, and we need to make, make it a more attractive proposition for them mm-hmm. by making it, you know, personally beneficial. That's the sad and inescapable truth of this, that people will only change the behaviour if there is a benefit to them. And, and that's what we've got to do. Totally agree. Uh, talk to me about British Fault. What ultimately are they aiming to do and why did you think you wanted to align yourself with them? Well, I, I got a call from their comms director, a lovely guy called Ben Kilby, when they they'd actually got the site um, bought, and he said, "Look, we've got the site up here. I know you're an electric car fan. Would you like to come up and have a look?" So I thought, "Wow, it's 250 miles there and 250 miles back. Um, have I got the time for this?" So I thought, "No, look, I'll do it in in, in my Tesla. I'll drive up in the electric car. I'll, I'll I'll look at the site, talk to them, and then drive back and, and make a film out of it." Um, and I did, and. It was kind of, again, another another moment where you think, whoa, because it's such a huge site, it's 50 full-size football pitches and 93 hectares, and it has all this renewable energy, this North Sea interconnector um, and, and, and the, the, the deep water port, and, and, and you know, it, it's perfectly placed. You can't make batteries if, if, if you're, you know, producing huge amounts of carbon. It must be made out of... Out of, out of renewable electricity and and it's the best site in the country absolutely unquestionably um and they did it and they got planning permission unanimously um so it, it was a kind of moment in history and i thought look this is going to make a huge difference to our motor industry because if we don't make batteries in this country because of the brexit rules of origin you will see all these car manufacturers going abroad to where the batteries are made and that's a an eight billion quid hit mm-hmm. to the economy so it, it, it's it's really economically important that we have not just one gigafactory but you know half a dozen in the uk um and it, it for me and the, and the people at british Fort are really really bright and, and and passionate and and motivated and they, they do have this change the world dna and i thought okay what can i do to help so they said look come and Come and help us and, and, and tell us about EVs, tell us what you think about the market, what we should, should be doing, what sort of batteries we should be making. And here we are, you know, I think it's about seven or eight months on, and, and they really are progressing apace. And I think it's it's the reindustrialization of Britain. Uh, factories like that, that are low carbon and, 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 and have so much recycling and renewables, this is what our future is going to look like. And it will create so many highly paid and highly skilled high-tech jobs in, 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 the, in the north. Um, and it's part of that levelling up. And, and as a template, and they've already got a, 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 you know, another factory on, on the stocks in Canada, we're going to see lots and lots of these things all over the world. So without batteries, there will be no energy transition. It's as simple as that. Um, and, and already British Volta are thinking about static energy batteries um, and, and, and going into that market. So it's a really brave and historic I think, moment where we can change the way we consume electricity by having all these batteries. And like you, you know, in your house and these microgrids and things like that, Mm -hmm. they've done well. They've got deals with Lotus and and Aston Martin, but they're also very passionate about making sure that we get affordable batteries. And that technology that they're they're doing with Aston Martin and Lotus and these performance cars will trickle down to make cheaper batteries for cheaper EVs, and that that has a great social benefit as well. Now, obviously, there are potential issues with sourcing some materials for batteries from certain corners of the world. Um, Do we know how British Fault are dealing with uh, that particular aspect? Yeah, I mean, they've signed a deal with Glencore, who are going to supply cobalt, 
Um, and then they're, they're looking at lithium here in the UK uh, and, and, and Cornish lithium. But also, and I was talking to one of the senior scientists the other day, that they're, they're looking at replacing lithium with just sodium, salt, um, and, and, and batteries that have water in them, and then solid state batteries. So all the time in the background, they've got this huge research and development arm, which is, which is taking you know, lithium ion batteries and saying, how do we make these more efficient? How do we make them more dense? How do we give them more energy? How do we make them lighter? How do we make them part of the car, as in building the battery into the chassis rather than having a platform? So when you, when you look at all this that's going on, you think, whoa, this is cutting edge. We, we, we really are. You know, right at the envelope of, of, of developing batteries. And, you know, if, if you look over the last 10 years, we haven't really done much to develop the lithium ion battery. And all the, 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 the Asian manufacturers, they, they produce this proprietary cell, the 2710. Mm-hmm. But British Volta are, 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 you know, working on, on making batteries that are much, much denser, have more energy, um, and have, you know, longer life and, and shorter, shorter tri- uh, charging cycles. So it's really interesting to see. For the first time, I think ever in, in, in history, this sort of intelligence and, and, and scientific audacity applied to the battery, and it will make you know a significant change. And I think if we're clever about this, um, we can lead the world because the, the the Asian battery manufacturers they're proprietary. You know, they just make one battery and it goes into Teslas and go into Kiri Neros and EV sixes and all that sort of thing. But if you can start making batteries for specific applications. Smaller cars, lighter cars, faster cars, HGVs, buses, all that sort of thing. Then, then we've got a huge industry that really could bring all sorts of benefits to the UK that 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 could eventually lead the world. And I think the one thing we've got going for us, one of the many things we've got going for us, is that we've got some of the best um, battery scientists on the planet here in the UK. Um, I mean, we've got people like uh, Ewan McTurk, for example, who you know is one of the uh, top electrochemists around the uh, really around good the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Isabel Sheldon, OBE, yeah, um, um, and Dr. Alan Patterson, and 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 these they they are the best. And then also you've got this ecosystem in the UK. You've got the Warwick Manufacturing Group. You've got the Faraday Institute. You've got um, uh, all that kind of golden triangle in in, in the West Midlands, UK big. Um, that are, are really pushing it. And it, when you go around these places, the, the, the kit is, is, is amazing. It, it, you've never seen it before. It's it, it, it just unbelievable machines that make these batteries, great big melancholy elephants of things. Um, and, and you know, that, that's, that's really unusual. You don't see that in, in other countries. I mean, Tesla's got a bit of it, but, but this, is, this is really pushing it further and further. The other initiative you're very much involved with is uh, Fair Charge UK. Talk to me a little bit about the genesis of that, as far as you're concerned, please. Okay, well, I I, I did Fair Fuel um, UK for mm-hmm. twelve years and 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 got this hundred and twenty billion um, of fuel duty and VAT saved. But that was then, and 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 this is now, and the world's changed. So I thought, look, we could we could do the same with 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 electricity, and and the 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 the, the the problem for me was that public charges, you pay 20% VAT, whereas if you charge your EV at home, it's 5% VAT. So that's nuts. And that disincentivizes people who haven't got parking places and, and on-street charging um, to, to have an EV. So that's our first our first mission. So we, we started this up with um, a, a, a lobbying group who'd, who'd worked with me before on, on fair charge, uh, fair fuel. And... Um, We've we've made quite a lot of progress, and I was with Grant Shapps the other day, and and we've we've spoken to the Treasury, and this is about making charging public charging cheaper, yeah. uh, not disincentivizing EV take up, a wider understanding of EVs. That's really important. That educational piece is is, is critical because there's so many myths and and urban legends about EVs and just making sure we've got this infrastructure. And I am on the government's back. And I, I said to Grant Shapps the other day, I am on your case, Grant. I want us to be leading the world in this. And it's up to you and the cabinet to start putting in place things that will make people buy EVs or lease EVs or or, or have access to them by a, a different funding mechanism. So it's really important that we've got this 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 organization that just pushes and pushes and pushes from the outside. And and when you when you do genteel political process like this and when you lobby, 
um, you you do get results, and you know I've I've proved it. One hundred and twenty billion is a lot of money, um, but we can do the same with 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 EVs and, and and fair charging and better charging and keep the charging operators in line and make sure those those costs per kilowatt hour are as low as possible. Now, obviously, you've opted to aim for VAT disparities as a starting point, but in your opinion, is it possible to make on-street charging for owners with no off-street parking as cheap as home charging for people like me and presumably you who have driveways and seven kilowatt chargers, or is there always going to be a discrepancy there? I think there's always going to be a discrepancy because of the the, the investment it, it, it takes to put these these things up. If you look at what um, Toddington Harper's done with GridServe, it's absolutely mm-hmm. wonderful, but he's backed by Hitachi Capital and that's, that's a long payback. Um, and I, I, I want to see EV hubs. So you go to an, an EV petrol station, if you like, and you charge up your car and it takes maybe 25 minutes and you can go shopping. Um, and then you've got enough charge to, to last you, you know, a week maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we should be rolling out. But yes, there's, there, there's a cost and a, an investment and a payback. And the government's got to help this, this you know, private sector to build these places and, and look at ways that they can give grants and subsidies and, 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 and make it easier to get expedited planning permission because we need these all over the place so we can create confidence because this myth of, of, of range anxiety, it's still there. Even though I get 270 miles out of my car in real world driving, there are still people that think, oh, I've got to have 400 miles because, you know, I can. And, and you know, when's the last time you drove 400 miles without having a stop? So, you know, it, 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 it's really, you know, important that we, we understand this and, and we get that messaging across. But I think if we could get the VAT off, um, then you might be looking at, I don't know, 20p per kilowatt hour, 25p per kilowatt hour, where some operators are charging 37, 38. Um, and it's only going to go up as well because electricity is going up. So keeping a lid on those prices, again, is, is, is a piece of political strategy that we really, really have to work on hard. Well, I have literally 90 minutes ago received an email from one of my preferred charge point operators saying that they're now going up to 49 pence a kilowatt hour. Wow. Things like that can only help you in your discussions with um, the political figures to say, you know, look at what's happening out in the market. You need to be helping as much as possible. But obviously the government as a whole can't be seen to be or moving in too much onto private enterprise. Uh, you know, we're still a, a capitalist market. So what's the the play, the to and fro that happens between, you know, what the government wants to do and what it shouldn't really be doing when it comes to working with, uh, with the business? Well, the government's got to stand back and say, right, what does it cost us as a society for all these respiratory illnesses, and you look at that 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 cost, and it's massive. It's it's mm-hmm. huge. It's epic. Nobody's ever worked it out. But what did the Royal College of Surgeons say? Forty thousand premature deaths every year from respiratory problems. Now, cost that out, and we are talking billions and billions of pounds. So, as a public health imperative, that changes the kind of balance, doesn't it? It, yeah. it becomes something that we really do need to do in economic and and just social terms you know it's one of the best things our generation could do to eliminate all that all that illness and 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 all that sadness so they have to balance it yeah but these are you know strange times we've never ever been down this road before where we have to change our energy from polluting dirty fossil fuels into something that is clean and cheap and renewable and available so um to, to create that industry, and that's what we're doing, to create it from scratch, is something we've really, really, really got to do and apply ourselves as, as part of our, our reindustrialization. This is the way ahead. So what's next on the list for fair charge? I mean, obviously now you're looking at VAT, but let's assume you're successful in that, and I, I hope you will be. I've, I've got every confidence in that. What's the next thing you're going to look at? I, I know one of the things that a lot of EV owners are concerned about as far as charging is concerned is this whole issue of charger reliability and uptime and that is that something that fair charge may get involved in yeah i mean there's a a raft of of, of ambitions and objectives charge reliability um interoperability so it's just a a a card contactless i I did a charge at tesco's in hatfield the other day wonderful um 151 uh, kilowatt charger and then just a swipe with a card and and there you are 
the fact that I left it on charge for too long and had idle fees is is another another question I wasn't paying attention. But it it works, and that's what we want. So people can just go up and just swipe their card, charge, and go. Um, they're, 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 we need more charges to stop charging congestion. And I'd like to see things like, um, you know, you must not be given a parking fine on private land while you are charging your electric car. I mean, I've had them, you know, charging mm-hmm. at supercharges in hotel car parks and you, you get a letter through the post several days later um, finding you because you were there too long. Um, I'd like to see uh, penalty charges for people in combustion cars who monopolise charging uh, places for EVs. I mean, that, that's that degree, that's yeah. un, un, untenable. Um, and just what about things like, you know, free parking for EVs um, nationally? Um, and these things, these small, small wins that, that don't really cost anything could change the whole balance and make it really, really, really you know, important for people to do this transition. So we've got a, a list of things that we, we, we want to push the government to do that won't necessarily cost them any money, but would make a huge difference to, to the prospect of, of, of owning an electric car. And I've got a charger fitted to my house where I'm talking now, and it's not working, you know, and it, it is the most annoying thing. And it, it's new and it, it, it cuts out. And we need standards and we, we, we need, you know, a, a a proper set of, of, of objectives and values that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's properly pleased. So handing, you know, electrification over to people who have, who have lived with combustion cars, we've got to make that much easier. What, what we're asking people to do is really quite difficult. And it, 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 it means a change in behavior and a change in mindset. And you don't want the technology to get in the way. You know, we're our first world economy and we could do this better than we're doing right now. Just sort of looping back on free parking, I don't know whether you're aware, I was in um, Islington a couple of weeks ago. On their on-street parking, if you're in a petrol, four hours on-street in Islington in a petrol car is like £12. In a diesel car, it's £18. In an EV, it's 20 pence. So they've obviously decided that um, reducing parking fees for electric vehicles is something that they're uh, happy to do. And I think there are other... uh, specifically London councils who've uh, gone down that path as well. So I think that's good to see. Yeah, I've had conversations with with, with, with CEOs of councils. And, and when you say, well, look, you know, we need free parking. Well, you know, that means giving up all this revenue and, you know, that'll cost us so much per space. That's not the question. The question is, you know, do you want to to, to have better air quality in your towns and cities? And, mm-hmm. and that mindset, we, we, we have to change it. And if we can't change it, then we've got to sort of say, Right. Well, look, th- th- this is what what you have to do, and it can't be up to individual councils whether they like electric cars or not. And, and I was talking to one the other day, and and behind that kind of reluctance to 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 give it free parking stands this 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 kind of hatred of EVs and everything they stand for, and hatred of Tesla owners. And you can't let that obscure the debate. It's really really important that we have a balanced view of all this nationwide. Your uh, motoring presentation background has had something of a focus on second-hand cars. Now, I think that for electric vehicles, the second-hand market is going to be absolutely key as we move forward. So can you talk to me a little bit about the market as you see it at the moment, especially right now when we come to this lack of availability for both new and second-hand cars? Yeah, well, there just aren't enough used EVs because obviously we haven't been buying them and, and, and selling them again. It's only in the last couple of years that we've seen this exponential exponential growth but when i bought my first nissan leaf you know they were they were weird little cars and nobody really wanted them and all the the price guys punished them and that they would depreciate really really fast and now we know that you know a, a, a first gen nissan leaf is, is 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 a very valuable commodity i remember the one i had for three years i, I sold it to a dealer and i think i lost 200 pounds in depreciation over those two years <laughs> So, you know, they've gone up in price and there are some Teslas. If you bought a Model X Tesla last year, you probably sell it for £8,000 more than you paid for it. Um, so that's good, but it then disadvantages people who want affordable EVs. Um, you can buy first-gen Nissan Leaf for, I guess, around five to £7,000, but that's only got a range of, of, what, 70 miles if it's the 24 kilowatt and maybe 100, 100 miles if it's the 30 kilowatt. So... That's not ideal. So we need to, 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 to make it make more EVs and get more EVs into the secondhand market. And I think we need to look at funding options where there is some sort of 
subsidized interest-free loan or something and i'm only you know thinking out loud here um because you can underwrite these things because you know you'll get your money back and more because they're, they're such a good bet and will continue to be such a good bet and in demand for for quite some time yet so if there is a funding mechanic that you can you can get people into affordable evs at you know a hundred pounds two hundred pounds a month then we've got to try and do that. And the more of those we make, then the more that go back into the into the system and, and eventually become second hand cars. And what the government's done with its corporation tax, 100% write down in the first year on, on EVs and, and the benefit in kind, that's meant that the fleets have bought them in numbers, all these IPACES and and Eneros and, 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 and Teslas you see on the motorways. Those are largely fleet purchases and those will go back into the second-hand market but not quick enough um so so it's something we really do need to work at if you want a, an ev we should be allowing you know lower income families the the option to to to, to have zero emission motoring and that's that's a really critical priority and of course we've got the problem and i'm in the situation myself i have a leased electric vehicle the lease uh, ran out in december last year but the car that I want to replace it with is not going to be available until October this year. So I can't put my old EV into the pool of second-hand cars because I'm waiting for a new car to come through. So that's having a knock-on effect. Presumably, there's a load of people in that similar situation, which means that the number of second-hand vehicles that are becoming available is not as um, is not as high as it should be. And as I say, as you say, it's it's having that uh, that big impact on people who want to get into the market but can't because the cars that are there are too expensive and there's just not enough of them. This is the, the, the perfect storm, isn't it? You've got the semi, semiconductor crisis, you've got the, the rise in, in, in raw materials that make, make batteries more expensive. And, and for the first time, I think, this year, the price of, of, of the average um, lithium-ion cell will go up after several years of it going down. And, and that's going to disadvantage the whole, the whole market as well. So these are external factors that, that, that we can't control, but we've got to try and manage them. And mercifully, you know, the, the, the motor industry is, 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 is saying, right, we are going to make these cars. I mean, Stellantis, who own all those 14 different car brands from Alpha to Maserati to Vauxhall to Opel to Fiat, they, they've said that they will be making, you know, 100% EVs in Europe within three or four years and hopefully, you know, five million EVs annually production. So when you get the, the, the big boys like that saying, right, we, we are going down this road, we are going to go completely electric. Now they've, they've, they've seen the business case for it. That's very hopeful. But again, there's that, that huge delay before we get those cars into the system. So we've talked about the availability of electric vehicles. We've talked about the price of electric vehicles. And these are you know, some of the barriers to adoption. So this is my king for a day question. What do you think is the one issue that's holding back mass EV update in the UK? And if you were a king for a day, what would you change or remove? I think it's it's a misinformation that we've got to got to change, and and I'm not absolutely sure how we do that. I mean, you know, as, as a journalist um, and a pundit, I, I do my best. Um, but there's there's all this stuff, all these urban myths. You can't drive them in the rain, and you need a new new battery every four years, and the battery is going to cost twenty five thousand pounds, and all that sort of stuff. Um, I think there's there's the education. I think, as I said earlier, we've got to make it easier for people to to own and live with them. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to to build this very visible um, nationwide charging network and support it. And we've got to keep keep doing the the, the, the subsidies. I mean, reducing the the, the the grant for EVs and taking away the the grant for a home charger. You know, the government thinks this is all going to happen now by market forces. It isn't. So. If I was king for a day, I would look at this this you know EV policy that the government has, and I would make it even stronger. And I would have a charging czar, and I would have you know a, 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 a group of, of really 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 good people that can that can roll out this network in the next five years and meet these targets and have visible um, EV charging stations in in every town. And we're getting those on on the motorways thanks to thanks to GridServe. But I would, I would, if I was king for a day, I would completely revisit it and say, look, 
it ain't over yet. And if you're to do this properly, we really do need to help people make that transition. And it's it's helping people. That's, you know, because at the moment, you know, you and I are, are, are middle class of a certain age and, and we are the converted. We've done this. We've, we've, we've walked to, to Calvary with the, the, the cross on our back and, and paid, you know, a lot of money for these electric cars and put up with all their idiosyncrasies. We now have to help the rest of the population go on that journey too and make it as easy as possible because... It is. It's a battle worth fighting for. It really, really is. If if you, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting in my house in London now, and, and and you know the curtains are are black and the windows are blank with this fine diesel particulate soot, and we don't know what that does to people's. Like, well, we know it's bad, but we don't know about the carcinogenic effects and all this sort of stuff. And and we've just got to move away from this as quickly as possible. That for me is the superordinate goal to to to, to clean the air in our cities and get rid of all this terrible pedestrian level toxic pollution and and the way to do that is is to reduce our our, our our diesel our diesel fleet in the uk if someone was to offer you the job as the charging czar would you take it um oh gosh as, <laughs> i'd like to be involved um and you know I, I i i do help the government with stuff and they do come and ask me mercifully and to be fair to the prime minister boris and i when he was mayor of london we would stand in windswept car parks in supermarkets in Wimbledon and and do photo calls in front of you know the then newfangled electric chargers mm-hmm. so he's always been really passionate about it and and he would drive his little Nissan Nissan Leaf full of his um you know his his his, his people from from the mayor's office and and was completely passionate and I enjoyed my time with him because he was he was just evangelical about it so um we just need to push. What worries me now is is the climate sceptics and all those backbench MPs who are now saying they want to roll back all these targets and and all this sort of green COP26 stuff is is nonsense and and, and it's all got to go. That would be a, a real tragedy as far as I'm concerned. And that's why we have to all of us say, look, don't do that. We've done so well. We've gone so far down this road. We need to push just a little bit further. And, and do that energy transition for the next generation and the generation that comes after that. That's that. That's the job in hand. And I think it's a really, really important one. Final question um, in this section. We've talked a little bit about big oil and some of their attempts to stymie the rollout of uh, renewables, etc. Now, obviously, you are aware that two of the predominant charge point operators in our country are run by fossil fuel companies. And they happen to be two that have some of the poorest reliability. Do you think that that's coincidental? I think it's unpardonable. Um, and one of them, and we won't name them, um, mm-hmm. is, is lamentable, really lamentable. And, and social media is full of, 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 of their hopelessness. And mm-hmm. we know these oil majors can do it when they want to. Um, and they've, you know, very professionally supplied us with with, with, with fuel for, for years and years and years and done it in a safe and, and reliable and consistent way, if rather expensively. So them not being able to deliver a, a uniform standard on their charging means that, you know, they they will be found wanting. And, and you look at them and you think cynically, well, they don't care about it. They just want to kind of block out the competition. They just want to monopolize and, and, mm-hmm. and use their sites. This has to change. And this one charging operator in particular really does need to raise their game because it's 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 embarrassing how bad it is so i would say you know come on raise the game do what you want otherwise you know people will come to the the conclusion wrong or right that you don't care that you're not interested in this and that you want the status quo to carry on but the status quo is unsustainable and we all know that and you need to find a different way of making your money and that may be through solar, hydrogen, wind, et cetera, et cetera. I put a call out um, on one of my last episodes and Peter Blisner, who I think is a mutual friend of our both, um, sort of put us both together. So I'm glad we were able to, uh, to have this time. Thank you very much. Not at all. Hope to speak to you soon. Many thanks to Quentin for his time and input. I had a great discussion with him and I hope you found him as interesting and informative as I did. I've also recorded an additional piece of content with him, which will come out in a couple of weeks' time in an episode I'm calling the My First EV episode. You won't want to miss that one. It's quite an interesting one and very funny. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. 
This was an episode on Fully Charged recently, but I wanted to highlight it for anyone who hasn't seen it yet. One of the largest onshore wind turbines in the world is in Rotterdam, standing a staggering 260 metres tall. The Halyard X is capable of generating 14 megawatts of power, enough to power 16,000 homes. One sweep of its blade can power a home for two days. Talking of blades, this is absolutely monstrous. It has a span which is taller than the Eiffel Tower itself. It's actually a land-based testbed for larger floating turbines which will be installed for offshore wind generation. Very impressive. The EV Musings podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. ZapMap is the go-to app for EV drives in the UK. Use it to search for available chargers, plan electric journeys, pay for charging on participating networks, and share updates with other EV drivers. ZapMap is free to download and use, with subscription plans for enhanced features such as using ZapMap in-car on CarPlay or Android Auto. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at MusingsEV. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link is in the show notes. Do you not want to sign up for something on a monthly basis? Well, that's fine. If you enjoyed this episode, why not buy me a coffee? Go to coffee.com slash evmusings, ko-fi.com slash evmusings, and you can do just that. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called Sir, You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent. And it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Please check it out. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. If you've reached this part of the podcast and are still listening, thank you. Why not let me know you've got to this point by tweeting me at MusingDV with the words Quentin and Bobby sitting in an IBF. Hashtag if you know you know, nothing else. Thanks as always to my co-founder Simon. You know he's a big fan of Battlestar Galactica. He particularly loves the phrases they've created as part of the BSG universe. You know, toasters for Cylons, nuggets for newbies, etc. However, I told him I wasn't too happy with the curse word they created so they can swear on network TV. He totally agreed. Yeah, I think we do need to look at fracking. I mean, absolutely. Many thanks for listening. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.